It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and the ultimate soy boy, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> uh, I'm doing the face. You can't see it, but I'm doing the face. So, so I I found out what soy boy meant. So this is something I've seen on Twitter a bit, people okay. calling people soy boys. Um, and I just assumed it was like, you eat soy, therefore you're like... Probably a vegan, probably right, a hipster. That's, like, that's the root of it. That's, that's, like, the that's root where of it, it comes from. But, but there's, a, like... there's a deeper meaning, though. So <laughs> someone, in, someone in the Discord said, it's to do with the estrogen in soy. <laughs> it's nonsense, man. Like... It's, don't, don't, even, don't even light up. Like, don't, don't give any kind of light to this nonsense, <laughs> this exact opposite nonsense that is the idea that, <laughs> that soy is an, uh, an effeminizing substance. It's just insane. Absolutely insane. It, it, it really amuses me because it's like it's literally like a primary school. It's, it's like yeah. girls smell of poo type thing. Boys are better. Boys are best. Uh, and if you have any feminine qualities or <laughs> yeah. in fact hormones yeah. in you, therefore you are a lesser yeah. person. If you wear pink, you're gay. That is, it's literally that. Um, I've got a, I've got a very a thorough YouTube video or a pair of YouTube videos on the on the topic of soy and soy boyness for you for anyone interested to watch and I'll I'll, I'll link them over. I mean, we should probably put them in the description of the the episode yeah. because I, I'd be keen to see these. Okay. I mean, I don't drink soy milk. I don't drink cow's milk, and I don't drink soy milk because I, I'd rather go for oat milk or almond milk. So I don't know where I fall in this category. I mean, obviously, you're the alpha in this podcast, buddy. That's that's for sure. Uh, that that was already clear. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is obviously a clap back at our. Uh, I mean, it's hard to believe that people don't like our podcast, isn't it? <laughs> some people don't like it. Would you believe it, Nathan? Um, so there you go. This is a clap back to the people who call us soy boys. Got them. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, thank you very much to everyone who left an iTunes review. So I, I mentioned Brett Goldstein's podcast last week. And I said that it would be cool if you were to leave your reviews in the form of the match that meant the most to you. Um, I think we've had one. <laughs> I think one person left a review. So mm. let me just quickly get that on my on my screen, and I will read that now. Um, oh, it might be two. It's two. Oh, okay. competition. So Danger Russ uh, said, put simply, League Cup Final 2008. First time seeing my team lift the trophy live at the, live at the stadium. Not the best match, but the feeling of being cup winners was euphoric. Lovely stuff. And then most recently, Darling Alistair said... Bit of a left field one in all honesty, but it was probably the draw against Manchester United at home in the snow during the 2012-13 season. It was during my first full season supporting Spurs, and I remember listening to it on Five Live, sat on the landing outside my bedroom in my parents' house. The euphoria of Dempsey's last-minute winner and the Narnia-like conditions definitely helped to solidify my ill-fated love affair with Tottenham Hotspur and football in general. 
Love the pod, guys. All the best. I remember that game was freezing cold. I, mm. I totally underdressed for that. And it was like delayed an hour and a half, two hours because of the snow. And I was in bits. And I, I remember this guy was next to me in, in the in the upper, in the upper. It was um, South Upper. South Upper. And he saw me freezing and he said, you weren't prepared, mate. And he showed me the worst kind of moon boots I've ever seen. <laughs> he, he looked like an extra from a 1960s um, space film. And he was like, you should get yourself a pair of these. And at that moment, I was I would have taken frostbite over those shoes. They were <laughs> the, the worst I'd ever seen. When I used to go to watch birds in the winter, I would always wear two pairs of socks, a pair of long johns, and then like <laughs> gloves with with hand warmers. I do. I'm very skinny. I feel the cold a lot. That game was in my first year at uni. I, I was living around the corner from uh, a sports pub, um, and I remember for that game, I, I so I had a Man United housemate, and we both put on our hoodies and then put on our Spurs and or United's top <laughs> over the top <laughs> of our hoodies so we could go to the pub and then be divided into our two sections in the pub <laughs> and then like, I'll see you after the game mate and nice yeah. <laughs> nice 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 um thank you also to recent exubs I mean we've set ourselves a precedent here in having to read out the names of the people who've recently joined every podcast but let's do it uh Brian Lowe Andrew Felder Harris Corey Robin Barnes Alex Langston Kieran Bryan Mitchell Blanchard and Jeremy Dresner thank you so much all of you for signing up to the exubs it's very much appreciated I hope you enjoy the content give us plenty of feedback message us on Patreon with your feedback um, we've also released the latest newsletter this weekend. Um, Bardi's putting some some long hours getting that sorted, and that's gone out. Did you enjoy that, Bardi? Good one. Um, I do enjoy the newsletter. It's um, we get always some varied content through for some, through from some great contributors, and it, it's always nice. I've seen. I said it before to be able to contextualise Spurs over the course of a month, or just take Spurs and look at us in a after a month instead of having to think about um, the narrative and how things have changed from match to match which is, I guess is what we what we do anyway but um, yeah it's, it's nice to take a step back and look at Tottenham as a, as a whole Nice and uh, before we move on to the match some, some further admin I put a poll out this morning on the Extra Inch account saying which best describes your general vibe after the, the Burnley results so the options were we're fixed top four ahoy quietly optimistic Still mildly pessimistic, or Burnley were just awful. And 46.5% of respondees were quietly optimistic, which I think is, you know, that's that's what football's all about, isn't it? You know, the hope, the optimism, trying to kind of look forward to, to all the things that you might have in store for you. Um, so it's like a fairly even split, I would say, between those who were pessimistic, those who were optimistic. But nice to see like 57% say they're feeling good. Uh, it was a really, obviously, really uh, exciting performance from a Spurs perspective. Um, we had a couple of emails. So Alex Chincotta wrote to us pre-Burnley saying, I don't think I can remember seeing a Jose so positive and confident that he will turn things around during such a bad period of form, especially as it's, his, as it's the worst form of his career. Excuse me if I'm incorrect, but would you say that this is the most Jose has had his back against the wall during his managerial career? I don't know if it's me being delusional and him having brain brainwashed me or not, but I have a feeling that he will actually turn this around and deliver a success winning the Europa League this season. If he doesn't perform well these next coming matches and get sacked, we get sacked during the summer without having anything to show for his time here surely himself and everybody else believes he's done as a top level coach and similarly brian edgecombe wrote there are 14 games left if spurs can somehow manage 10 wins two draws and two losses over that period or better the season's points total will be 68 points which might be enough for top four Mm. it's not easy and results and performances haven't been great but i still think there's a chance so these were two messages that came in pre-burnley so aren't sort of reactionary um uh, bits of thinking. With those in mind, let's talk Burnley. So, team selection, Bardi. Bale, back in the team. Aurier, back in the team. Lucas kept his place, and we saw a new centre-back pairing. Um, it, it was it was good. It's what we all wanted to see. Bale has been slowly, there have been signs of a, a renaissance, and it was great to see him back, and immediately he, he 
he boosted the fan base and I mean he, he he is that kind of a player that if he gets right and if he's able to perform he's good enough to 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 carry this this team and that's kind of where all my hopes are right now that Bale is going to return to some kind of top level form and and really do what we need to do win those 10 games uh, those two draws that we need to get 68 points were you surprised to see Adverald and Sanchez partnered um, no, not at all. Dyer is a mess. Um, I think this this is I think this is our, probably our best partnership. Sanchez has got a bit of physicality, and Alderweireld has the nous. Um, and I think we need to invest in these two for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Nathan, did we briefly have our best possible eleven on the pitch when Delhi came on for Lucas, or would Ooh. you squeeze Lacelso in somewhere? Uh, I would probably. But I mean, I I will give like a really annoying answer of like, well, you know, there's not really a best eleven, and Lacelso, there's essentially there's an extra option there, and Lacelso is equal to at least a couple of the players on the pitch, and that there will be a, a continuous rotation, and someone's always injured, and someone's always suspended, or, or that kind of thing. Um, so simultaneously, I would put Lacelso into that eleven without removing anyone. That is the little dance around I'm going to give you. Nice, nice, nice. Um, Nathan, here's one for you. Abby from our Discord said, Earlier this season, Nathan made a video, Recent Problems and Recent Solutions, where he talked about our last game with Burnley. I remember watching shot after shot of our defenders winding up to hit long balls up to our attackers and watching Burnley constantly anticipating this and covering most of our counter attempts. That did not seem to happen today. So I'm wondering, have we actually made any meaningful changes in our style of play for this game that I can be hopeful about? Or is it more of the two simple answers that fitness has tilted in our direction again or personnel changes? So we had Doherty, Davis and Sissoko for the last game rather than Aurier and Regulon and Bale have made the difference. So yes, I do think personnel changes are um, pretty considerable if you look at those two different sides. Um, and it's possible there's some fitness stuff tilting our way. Certainly Bale's fitness has tilted our way. Um, but I'm going to really simplify things and I haven't like gone back over the footage. Maybe this could be a video. Um, I've got the Hazard Noodle one queued up ready to go. But basically the way I saw things was um, in that 5-0 over Burnley. Uh, okay, firstly, we need to talk about the way Burnley defend. Burnley are sort of categorised as this low block team, but they don't really actually... Well, they do things that way, but they, they arrive in that situation um, from a relatively high press. Uh, they do something... Um, which you could call like passive pressing. It's the kind of the way that, um, Lucian Favre sides it up is that they will, they follow you all the way back into your own, into your own half, all the way back to your goalkeeper. And then they just sort of stand there and stare at you and they don't commit to tackles. They're not trying to win the ball high. They're not trying to intercept it. They're not trying to, they're just trying to, um, corral you into playing to your fullbacks. They're trying to affect the way that you build up, um, so that you arrive in the final thirds. In, um, in, in undesirable ways, at which point they've followed you all the way back because they haven't committed to a tackle and been beaten beat and they've just sort of jogged alongside you and now they're in their low block, but they begin in that high press. And this is, this is the way Dice sets his teams up against most teams who want to have possession and possess the ball. And in that 5-0 victory over Burnley, we drew out their pressure. We passed the ball between our centre-backs. We drew out their pressure. And then we played the ball long over the top. In the second game, <laughs> they saw that coming. And so they sort of had one centre-back ready on the half turn, uh, running in, you know, watching that running behind um, and were sort of prepared for that idea. And I feel like in the third game, you have sort of the, the synthesis of these ideas, which is that we came with some plan to play it short. We played the the fast, short vertical pass into Ndombele and we mixed that up with the long ball over the top. And suddenly Burnley defenders don't know whether they need to be pushing forwards to the, the midfielder dropping into space or worrying about the running behind. And uh, Burnley defenders are good defenders, but once you give them a sort of a problem in a high line situation when they don't know whether they need to be going or running away, um, they kind of had nightmares. So I just think that, yeah, we, we sort of... Um, we developed on the previous ideas and its shortcoming. Mm-hmm. Can can the victory though just be that simple that we when we beat them five nil, Kane smacked one in from thirty five yards, and True. then when we beat him yesterday, it was a cross slash shot from Sun, which Bale was alert to. Whereas the other times we've struggled with Burnley, we haven't got that quick breakthrough, and it's almost like they've they've um, they've got better, and we've started to panic more and started to lose our ideas. 
there's definitely truth to that, definitely. And um, that's like always going to be the case to an extent with Mourinho teams. But in each of these games, um, the approach has been to attack almost throughout. And we've sort of let off the steam a little bit towards the end of each of these games. Um, not so much in the, in the 1 0. Um, but yeah, I don't think Game State played a huge amount in any of these. Um, it will have like a psychological effect. But in terms of tactics, um, I think that even if we didn't score in the first couple of minutes of each of these games, we were going to, and we, we, we showed we had the tools and the means and the ability to, to find goals. Uh, if we were desperate for them, even I think, mm. I think um, also it, it can be quite simple, like individuals. I think if you look at the players who missed out and the players that started, there's, there's a huge upgrade there. A lot of, a lot of the bad things we've said about Jose has been individual errors and individual mistakes. And we just seem to have upgraded individuals for this game. We, we swapped out Doherty for Aurier. We swapped out Lamella for Bale. And, um, we swapped out, um, Dyer for Alderweireld and obviously Davies for Reggio. And I think we just, we almost like improved the overall average of our squad, of our first 11. And I think that had a huge, huge impact. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I would agree with that that we've we've simply got a better eleven this time. Um, and also, Burnley didn't have their front front two players, so that has mm. an impact as well. I mean, I was expecting Burnley to be completely toothless without Wood and Barnes and with Vidra up front. Who is, I mean, Vidra is just yeah, not a Premier League player, frankly. He's the worst. He's the worst Premier League striker there's ever been. I think he's got maybe one or two goals in in what eight seasons. He's awful. There was a bit where they had like a a slightly threatening break. Uh, break. I think it might have been second half. They had a like a they won the ball in a in a good location and they attacked quickly. And Vidra he made a run. He made a smart run. He recognised the space. He made the run, and the midfielder missed the pass. And Vidra just stood there, shrugging, <laughs> moaning about it crying about it for like the rest of the entire attack it's sort of like he just went oh oh i had such a good run and just like moped about for about five minutes and that was it that was there that was the most threatening attack yeah i mean i i, I what i was gonna say was I, I expected them to be toothless completely and i think that is reasonable but i did expect them to be a little bit more resolute defensively sure uh, and they really reminded me of Spurs with that first goal. That that was not dissimilar to, to def- sorry, that was not dissimilar defending to what we've seen from Spurs recently. Frankly, sure, we've seen that sort of similar level of confusion with one player trying to play offside, one player not tracking a run, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We've seen that goal a few times against us lately. Um, I agree with Bardi that Son's delivery was probably a mishit. Like mm. I think he was trying to cross it, but not in that way. And Bale <laughs> just timed his run really well and, and read the situation really well uh, and was left with like a, a right foot tapping. Um, yeah, uh, so, so Matt 1978, who's one of our ex-subs, made a similar point to Bardi. He said, we did really well today and I don't want to go slagging players, but how much better did we look today without the likes of Davis, Sissoko, Dyer, and Dotti in the lineup? I mean, I think that is undeniably true but I also think that in this game we probably could have got away with a couple of those players and still been fine no I yeah yeah I, I agree we could have got away with it but I think I think it's important now we start focusing and start understanding who our best 11 is and I think I think this will hopefully kind of shape Jose's idea now going forward at his best front three are Kane, uh, Bale and Son. That's who we need to build our forward line through. And I, I have to say, I don't mind. Lucas is a terrible, terrible footballer, but <laughs> he, this is weird, but he does do a useful job and his industry, this is a horrible thing to say about a footballer, but his industry does kind of help us out a little bit. And I think that's the reason why he's getting in over Delhi. I think, I think if you've got Bale, who's, who we know physically he's declined, but he's still so sharp and so clever. And you could see that through his assist and some of the touches he was doing when under pressure in his own half. I think he's so smart now that perhaps he needs a, um, he needs a runner for him. You know, like in cricket where someone gets injured and they have to have someone who can run up and down the wicket for him. I can't believe him using a cricket analogy. I don't even like it. But I think maybe Lucas is, um, is the runner for Bale. Perhaps that's, that's his role now is just to, to to water carry for Bale because <laughs> Bale is an insane footballer and yeah I, I just I have a lot of hope for Bale right now. So we didn't have <laughs> Dyer or Doherty or Sissoko or Davies and I do think that um, the strength of the individuals in this eleven 
um, mattered a lot and did a lot for us and enabled the game plan and enabled our ability. Um, but we did also have Davinson Sanchez, who's come under a lot of flack this season, and he looked really good. We did also have Hugo Lloris, who I think wrongly has come under a lot of flack this season. Um, <clears throat> we did have Sergio, who is an objective fact, <laughs> has given away multiple penalties and red cards. So it's not like it was the total absence of the people who have been blamed for individual mistakes, but they played mm. well and they looked good. And I think that that is, um, okay, they're going to get some lift from, from the better players around them. And I think that's more a function of the fact that, as I sort of just talked about earlier, that we, we had a plan about how we were going to attack Burnley. We, we reacted to the way that they defend. Uh, we, we came, you know, clearly trained with specific patterns for this game, with a specific approach. And because we had a plan for our attack, everything just kind of works out, you know? When you spend, when you have a plan for attack and you spend that much time attacking, when you're effective with your attacking, when you're not sitting on one or two goals and saying, okay, now it's Burnley's time to have the ball. We're going to see how many times Davinson Sanchez can intercept a cross with his big old head. Um, I I I can completely understand anyone who watches this game and it restores their faith in Mourinho. For me, this just says what a brilliant squad we have and and how brilliant they could be week in week out if mm-hmm. our manager was someone who came every week with a plan for how we were going to attack and the intention to continue to attack throughout the 90. I mean, I think simply the fact that we were willing to commit more players forward made such a huge difference. I mean, I noticed several attacks where we had five or six players attacking at the same time, and that has simply not happened very much this season. And we were overwhelmed Burnley. I mean, the commentators were sort of saying that we looked like we were going to score every time we went forward, and it did really feel Mm. like that. I mean, so, so we managed... According to 538's model, we managed 2.8 expected goals, which is the highest expected goals tally since, I believe, the Fulham match in early to mid-January, so like six weeks. That's a lot of games to have happened in six weeks. Um, in fact, Nathan, they've also got the non-shot expected goals uh, uh-huh. listed in their model, which I've put a little explainer underneath because I, I, I'm this isn't something I'm hugely familiar with. But they explain it by saying non-shot expected goals are an estimate of how many goals a team should have scored based on non-shooting actions they took around the opposite opposing team's goal. Passes, interceptions, take-ons and tackles. And Burnley come out ahead of us in that. Why would that be in this game? Uh... Definitely not sure in terms of how Burnley managed to find their way up to 1.0. But in terms of ours being low, it's just like how little time we actually spent in the attacking third is because the speed that we attacked with. Right. And um, yeah, although that we, yeah, we created a number of high chances, although we had a continuous attacking threat, um, we didn't sort of bunker them into their own thirds. And that's why, because we played so fast, because we played a direct version of football, because we played long balls into the channels and then two, three part vertical combinations into the same areas as well. Um, I think non-shot, I think it can be, is, is, is a useful tool. Um, but there's going to be a lot of occasions where it doesn't apply. Um, and it's rarely going to apply to Mourinho sides, essentially. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to defend Mourinho a little sure. bit because I know I know we go we go after him and so, and you know he's a manager he's he's made his life a results based manager so when he loses we're allowed to go after him but I do think over the last few weeks we have seen Tottenham attempt to try and score different goals but I just think he's he has been let down. Um, it's now forgotten because we got ended up getting smashed by City. But there were moments when it was nil-nil where we had um, opportunities to break away and the ball fell to Lamella and he didn't release it. There was at least two or three occasions where he wasn't released. And I think there is a, there is a way to try and attack, but the ball's always landed either at the feet of Lucas or Lamella, who, who both are quite inept. Now he's just replaced Bale with Lucas. Uh, he's replaced um, Lamella with Bale and all of a sudden the pitch is opening up and those Lamella would never have hit that pass to Kane he just wouldn't have been able to do it Lamella wouldn't have scored the first goal he definitely wouldn't have scored the second goal so Hmm. I do think there are there are plays that we're trying to do because the Bale goal against Burnley was very very similar to the Bale goal against Wolfsburger so there is a almost a pattern there of how we play 
And I just think he's now got players who can finally do what he wanted them to do, whether it's him or somebody else. But I do think there's patterns and we now have players at the end of these movements or at the start of these movements that can finish it off. I do think the the the, the Kane to Sun route has been blocked off and people have got wise to it. And I now think that with Bale there, I think we have a second option, a second way to score goals. And I hope that's Mourinho that's done that. But if it's the players who've figured it out for themselves, then I'm equally on board with that. I, I don't mind. As long as this results in us winning games, moving up the league and getting towards the final of the Europa League, I'm, I'm on board with this right now. There was a lot in that game to get excited uh, by in Gareth Bale's performance. Yeah. A lot. Um, so, so the most obvious things are the fact that he scored two goals, the second goal being a really nice finish. And and the pass, the the pass to Harry Kane, which was you know a beautiful, well weighted pass over the top. But there's one moment which is what excites me the most, and that is when he shifted the ball past Charlie Taylor and absolutely steamed hmm. past him, yeah, man. Uh, and and made him look like uh, peak Mycon. <laughs> Uh, it was it was classic Bale. It was old school Bale, and I did not think we would see that again. And it made me very very happy. There were also some really lovely sort of one touch flicks, which I mean, as much as I love Bergvine, and I really do, I mean, I don't think he'd even attempt, would have attempted those. Uh, the sort of confidence, audacity, and mm. control of Bale sort of elevated that side of the pitch. I think. Um, he was incredibly, incredibly impressive. We've got a question about Bale, which we're going to come on to in a bit around how he manages minutes. If he can stay fit, he offers a really useful solution to Mourinho, as Bardi's kind of pointed out. I mean, this um, he will never be the Bale that he was at Tottenham. He w- That was an incredible individual. And if you were fortunate enough to go and see that guy play football live, you would have seen a an athlete, a, a wide player that, you know, it's once in a generation kind of type of player. But this new Bale, he does, it's such a cliche to say that they played a game in their head, but he does seem to be a little bit smarter. He does mm-hmm. seem to be a bit more of aware of his surroundings and able to link play much better. And maybe this is, maybe this is the future of him. We have spoke about him playing more centrally. I, I don't know if that will ever happen, but I don't know. Maybe his, where his body slowed down, maybe his brain's got faster because we're seeing things, little flicks, like you said, that, maybe we wouldn't have seen before when uh when he has the ball out a sort of right channel and he's being uh followed by his fullback and he knows he has to cross with his right foot you can really mm. like see him concentrate you can really <laughs> go, okay gareth you've got to use your right here really try to think yeah. about the technique that you're gonna put on here it's like here it comes everybody here's the right <laughs> foot cross Whoa. and he's got a few decent ones off he got mm. an assist with his right recently but it's it's still funny to watch the like the seven step setup for a, for a right foot cross from him but yeah he's 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 a really brilliant player and, and that'll be a shock to absolutely nobody in the world and mm. um, it was always just a matter of fitness once we were we once we reached the sort of four five month period into the season and he still wasn't looking sharp yeah yeah um we were all writing him off and i don't think that we were we were um it wasn't unreasonable to do it that, wasn't right? unreasonable no um but yeah he's looking sharp i i've recently had a breakthrough in my own physio so uh bale and i were we're spiritual brothers <laughs> I mean, my, my dad is always one of these kind of guys. He goes, what time of year is it? And I'm like, well, it's March now. He goes, huh? Well, you know, contract is running out. Euros are coming up. <laughs> <laughs> this on. is the only reason why he's starting to play now, because he's panicking that his contract's about to expire and he needs another big contract. He's like, I wouldn't sign him. He's just, he's doing, he's doing you in. He's, 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 l- he's lulling you in so he, gets, so he gets a massive contract from you. My dad's like that. He always sees the worst thing. You bring up my dad, he's like, what's happened? I'm like, nothing's happened. What do you think? Why does something always have to have happened for me to want to talk to you? A very cynical man. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, Nathan, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and then myself yeah. also. Uh, we had this message from Kerry Duckett, who it was tit- it's titled Changing Your Mind. Um, Kerry says, Nathan and Wendy, I usually enjoy the podcast, but I have found your recent expressions towards the manager quite dispiriting. Rather than litigate the current circumstances, I'll ask you the same question I use quite often in my profession. What would it take for you to change your mind? 
Your anti-Jose agenda was established from day one and recent events have only served as confirmation bias. But what would you have to see from Spurs for the rest of the season and next to make you reconsider your initial and present assumptions about Mourinho? Mm. First off, uh, I want to apologise for for uh, for being dispiriting uh, and that applies to anyone that, that you know, I, I, if you disagree with me, I think that you have a completely valid way of, of experiencing Spurs. Uh, I share this podcast with Bardi and we contrast a lot on, on the topic of Mourinho, but, but we have a lot of respect for what each other are saying. And I think that it's, if it was just me and Wendy wanking each other off about how much we hate Mourinho, <laughs> it would be a, a pretty annoying. brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but. You know, it's all it's all completely valid, and I don't mean to be dispiriting. It, it's, I, and this is the thing with you use the term agenda, and I get accused on Twitter a lot of having an agenda, and it's like the word agenda. It sounds very sort of manipulative. It sounds very Machiavellian. It sounds like I'm I'm being paid off or something. But like the agenda is just how I feel. It's just my own thoughts on a thing within football that I can't really help at all. So my agenda is just my own emotions and my own analysis. Um, but let's get to the question. What would it take to change my mind would be um, proof on the pitch of regular plans to attack like we saw against Burnley um, and sort of the, the practice of that, of, of Spurs bringing moves to the table, bringing moves to regular games, not just Burnley every season and, and a handful of others too, but but the clear intention for a, for a plan in possession. And in addition to that, uh, an improvement in his behaviour in front of the press, to be honest. I mean, you've just stolen all of my points. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so one thing that's slightly different between you and I, Nathan, is that whilst you were quite anti-Mourinho from the very beginning... I, I, I was, but I was, I was still open-minded to the idea that he was, he developed his football. Yeah, no, that's true, and I, I remember you. I remember you did a video about that. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I, 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 I strongly reject Kerry's, um comment that he says your anti-Jose agenda was established from day one. For me, it really wasn't. Um, so. I was actually looking back, I think I might have mentioned this already, I was looking back over some of my old tweets and I was a bit embarrassed to see some of my old tweets <laughs> that were kind of like, yeah, you know, maybe he has changed, maybe he is a new man, etc, etc. Um, and it got to July, so I found it, this tweet back from July 2020, where I say, I was open-minded about Mourinho and I really liked the early signs and the new Jose. My doubts crept in when he publicly destroyed Ndombele. Some of his decision-making around team selections then became eyebrow-raising. I'm done now. Team selections, tactics, use of subs, reliance on bad favourites. And, and to be honest, I stand by that. I, I think he was saved by the by the Lockdown. pandemic in some ways, by, by football being paused. Um, I didn't feel he was getting the best out of our squad. I still don't think he's getting the best out of our squad, and I want to see him get the best out of the squad. Now, if, if the Burnley performance happens every week or every other week, you know, yeah. given the benefit of a doubt, then absolutely I would change my mind. Of Definitely. course I would. That's It would be completely unreasonable to think that that would happen and I'd still be like, no, it's still not good enough, get him out. I'd be an idiot. And and frankly, I want us to win every match. I want Mourinho to win Spurs every single match. I really do. Like, I want this to work. I want... Because why would I not? There's no, there's no point. It's... I love seeing Tottenham do well and I want it to happen as quickly as possible that the point is that I've lost faith in that happening and I like, I'm really happy that people are optimistic and feeling good about this win and I I was fe I was loving the performance and I felt really good yesterday like yesterday afternoon was great because you've just had a 4-0 win it's like nothing can go wrong the rest of my day I feel really happy and I woke up feeling happy but I don't think this is uh I don't think this is a game changer if I'm honest I'm expecting the season still to peter out in a in a slightly dispiriting way, and I'm expecting Jose Mourinho to leave at the end of the season. Um, if that doesn't happen and he stays and sees out his contract, fine. And if, if he does well, brilliant. I will absolutely applaud him for it. The, the point is that's not what's happened yet, and I think to sort of blame Nathan and I for having a, a negative impression when objectively our points have been points per game have been poor for a long period. I think it's a little unfair. We're, we're all looking for different things. Um, and I do agree with Nathan that, you know, I, I apologise to KB and others 
if if they found that dispiriting but we might we have to be true to ourselves the, the the podcast is nothing if we're not honest if we just pretend that we're happy with everything there's no point there's there's just no point anyone could do that uh and we have bardy up there on his hill <laughs> watching over us who gives you a bit of like optimism and hope for the future i just want to win games i just want to win football matches i want to move up the league i Look, if I could pick a manager to manage Tottenham Hotspur, it wouldn't be Jose. But then I'm not anti-Jose. I I don't I don't mind him so much. He's won a lot of things, and I'm I'm not one of these people that sit there and need to have the most beautiful football or the most tactical Mm. tactical plan. I I don't mind that. I I as I said many times, I would be happy with 38 turgid, awful one nil wins because. You know, maybe someone will say that's the Italian part of me that doesn't mind. Mm-hmm. There is there is a beauty and there is an art to good defending, and there is a. I just want to have. I just want to see Tottenham have a plan, and I think towards the end of Pochettino's reign, we had no plan other than just just swing and hope to hope to smack someone out. Um, I think under Mourinho, when the low block encounter was working, I think there was a bit of stylistic beauty to that because we would counter and then we would sit back and then try and counter again. And if it didn't happen, we were set up well enough to see the game out. And as I said, I'm okay with that. If Mourinho decides to start playing more progressive, more attacking football, I'm also okay with that. I just want to win football matches and I will turn on Jose like I did with Pochettino when we get to the point that I don't see us winning any more football matches and after West Ham at half time at West Ham I was a bit like oh this might be the end of it because I don't see a way back from here but there was something in that second half against West Ham that made me think maybe if we keep Bale fit we can get through this and then we can maybe upgrade here and there so you know, it's it's such a Mourinho thing, but if he keeps winning football matches, I will remain Jose in. And I think I think he deserves that time and I think he deserves I think he deserves one more summer transfer window, unless the end of this season is a complete disaster. I think he deserves another window. I think the top four is not out. Leicester City have had some incredible injuries and they they've had the heart ripped from their team. West Ham will drop because they, they're unable to sustain this. And then it's up. It's between us, Chelsea, Liverpool, Everton. It's going to be a mighty, an almighty fight for that top four. But I think, I think we can do it. I, I think you've said a lot of very reasonable things there, buddy. The, the one point I would disagree with is if we do stutter towards the end of the season, I, I think we need to just pull the plaster off. I don't think we give them the transfer window because, like Nathan said many times, the age profile of the squad is is not improving under Mourinho. We do need to think of the future as well. We don't want to be lumbered with a a costly squad that ends up hindering us for a longer period of time. And if if reports are to be believed, uh, we have the potential opportunity to land Nagelsmann in the summer and and not before or after then, you know. And mm-hmm. I think that we have to we have to think about the uh, the opportunity cost with that. Get get him now before a bigger club gets him. Yeah. And yeah. And th- yeah. Absolutely. And and Barney's right. You know, like these one nil these one nil thirty eight one nil wins would be a lot more tolerable if Mourinho was a bit more decent and a bit more reasonable in, mm. in his handling of certain situations, I think. I mean, people praise him for the way he's managed the Delhi situation. I think it's disgraceful. I think he's treated Delhi appallingly, and I'm very uncomfortable with it, to be honest. I'm, I'm particularly uncomfortable with him then attending a welfare meeting with Delhi, having basically gaslit him for the whole season. Um, but... But I can't do anything about that, can I? Like, I just have to sit and accept that as an outsider and, and watch it unfold. So this is this is why it's difficult for me. I mean, I'm quite looking forward to if Julian joins of being Julian out from day one and <laughs> <laughs> taking, the, taking the counter stance immediately. I'm going to set. I'm going to lay it down. Out, get him out of my club. This young boy doesn't know what he's doing. Give it to a proper football man. The thing is, you joke, but they, that will happen, and and yeah, quite reasonably so because people will say, "Well, what's he ever won? Mourinho's won all of these things, and Nagelsmann won nothing." And <laughs> and I think that is like a not illegitimate stance. It's just you're coming at things from a completely different angle. Um, one is trying to project what might happen across the future, and one is trying to sort of project what happened in the past across the future. They're, they're two different ways of, of, of appreciating what might happen with a football club. And I suppose the final thing to say is we could, 
we could not make projections. We could not make predictions. We could sit on our opinions and just wait and watch and unfold and only ever react to games and state what we saw. But that's boring. You know, we, we're putting out uh, a football podcast here and, and projecting things and making predictions yeah. is part of the fun. Otherwise, we... That's the joke I was looking to say. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wolfsburger. That was another fun game. I mean, they are hopeless. They're absolutely hopeless. But Bless them. Bale and Delhi were joyful. Re- I mean, Delhi was just majestic. I loved watching him out there. Uh, Vinicius had a very handy finishing performance. Dane Scarlett got an assist mm. for Tottenham Hotspur, his first. Um, we saw... Niall John, a player I really like, 17-year-old midfielder, make his, his Tottenham debut. Marcel Lavinia, who we picked up from Chelsea, make his debut at right back. That was a fun game, buddy. It was. There was almost too many there young and English players out there to keep <laughs> count. It was, it was great to see. And um, my manager, bringing through the youth for Tottenham, done more for, done more for Tottenham youth in 12 months than Pochettino did in five years. <laughs> You that, jest, triggered, you, that triggered you, some people on you Twitter. jest but this is a thing so obviously Pochettino did a lot of good when he first came in at Spurs and you know Harry mm. Kane um, but the last couple of years were hopeless for Spurs' youth and I say hopeless deliberately because they lost hope and therefore started leaving so Noni Madueke is the best example of a really good player who left Spurs because he didn't see a pathway and as much as I do think this is a little bit of stat padding from Jose I think mm. he's like he's, he quite likes being able to say, well, I gave them his debut, it's kind of irrelevant because it's genuinely given the youth players some hope. They're like, oh, wow, my mate Niall, who's 17, just made his Spurs debut. That could be that could be me. That could be me next year. There's something really big about that. And I think um, being open to just sort of throwing young players on is a start. Let's hope it's followed up with more meaningful minutes because that would be wonderful. But yeah, I'm, I, I like that a lot. I really like that. Nathan, anything to say about Wolfsburger from your perspective? Uh, the tactical approach was to create one v one situations in which we had the better one. I think that's I think that's about it. Um, yeah. I wrote a thread about Vinicius, um, but the short of it is he's pretty good, but we don't really have forty million to throw around when we have the likes of Parrot and and Scarlet and other issues in defence. I'm not sure on Vinicius, you know. Um, his finishing's decent. His finishing's pretty good. Uh, he looks good in the box. This sounds awful, but I just I just think he has looked good against bad opposition and not good against good opposition. And I don't think he offers enough outside the box to justify um, the the big transfer fee potentially. But for for a season long loan, it's pretty much gone as well as you could have hoped. It's been good value, and he certainly won't have done his profile for a future move any harm in terms of like <laughs> his goals to games record. Shout outs to Mendes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I don't think he, I don't think he's terrible. I think he's better than Vincent Janssen. I think he's not a bad player. I just, yeah, I'm not sure there's any point in spending big on him, to be honest. Um, so following following Wolfsburger, following Burnley, we have to sort of think about how we're going to manage Bale. And Greg Peth, who's one of our ex subs, said, so obviously Bale can't play every game, but if we're up to you guys, how are you distributing his minutes between now and Arsenal? And similarly, um, Kuz, Kuz? Honestly, Cuz, um, also another ex-sub, said, I understand that there are many matches to go in both competitions, but would it be a credible approach to start resting players in the league games instead, playing a weekend signed in order to play the first 11 fresh in the Europa League as they as the better chance to qualify for the Champions League? Uh, so our upcoming fixtures look very, God, tight. Thursday the 4th of March, we play Fulham in the Premier League. Th- Sunday the 7th of March, we play Palace in the Premier League. Thursday the 11th of March... Dynamo Zagreb in the Europa League. Sunday the 14th of March, Arsenal in the Premier League. Thursday the 18th of March, Dynamo Zagreb in the Europa League. And Sunday the 21st of March, Villa in the Premier League. Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. How are we going to manage Bale through six matches in like 17 days, Bardi? I mean, I think it's a bit early to to go all in on Europa League at the moment. I think if we get through this round and then edge towards the semis, then I totally understand if the league form, if the possibility of finishing top four in the league has gone. Um, I think what you do is you play, you keep playing Bale 60 minutes. You start him against Fulham. 
Um, that's our game in hand. That's a key. That's a key match. We need to win that one, and then you you take a judgment on him regarding Palace. Does he have to start on the bench? I don't think he should travel to Dynamo Zagreb. I think we go with the tried and tested um, Vinicius up front alongside Lamella, uh, Lucas, Deli, those guys playing away, and we try and get something, a win or a draw, at worst case, to to then have the second leg at home because we need to focus on the Arsenal game. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take Kane or Bale to to Zagreb on on next week. Yeah, that's how I do. I'd fo- really, I think Fulham is a key game. If we beat Fulham, we've got the possibility of finally getting some momentum into our league form. Yeah, it's interesting. The Zagreb first fixture. I mean, the options are essentially that you go hard in the first one and try and win it, so that you can rest players for the second one, mm-hmm. or you make mass changes and just sort of hope for the best in both and then if necessary you can always play Kane in the second one to turn things mm. around um so I guess a lot will depend on which Premier League games they're looking to prioritize so following these Zagreb games we have Arsenal and then Villa mm. both tricky fixtures um I think you kind of have to prioritize Arsenal yes I mean Arsenal are coming off a Europa League game as well you know and they have been they have been prioritizing matches um so it's not like Arsenal are going to be sat there for a week not having done anything. Mm, true, true. So, Nathan, what would your approach be? Uh, I think that Bale is now a weekend player and he can maybe play 10, 15 minutes off the bench on Thursday nights. But but otherwise, um, I mean, yeah, obviously you have him on the bench for the second leg against Dynamo in case, and the same applies to Kane, the same applies to Sun, the same applies to Ndombele, in case you need them. Um but they they aren't starters because you need them for the weekend. Mm. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, talking of playing Sundays, we had a question from Vu Tran, uh, who said, "Does playing on Sundays negatively affect teams?" Yeah. And Vu's um, example was for me personally. I've always been someone who's preferred to compete early in any competition, spelling bees, auditions, etc., because it limits the amount of time for my nerves to build. I hate going mm. last because I see all the other competitors ahead of me, and it makes me anxious. Do you think there might be something here, um, Bardi? What do you think? Do you think there's a psychological impact of sort of waiting for the other teams to have played in the Premier League? Um, I think so. I think this really hurt us when we were in the title chase with Leicester. We were always. We always played after Leicester and Leicester were always able to make the gap six points. It wasn't like we were able to like significantly close the gap on them and they were going into the game under pressure. So I, I do think that matters. But this whole Thursday-Sunday routine has been a, it's an age-old question. A lot of people have spoken about it. Po- Pochettino um, back in 2014 was was talking about maybe Spurs should play on a Monday when they've had a European game just to give them a bit more recovery. I don't think it matters. I think it, I think Tottenham should be able to manage these early stages of the Europa League and still be able to perform in the Premier League. I don't think being in Europa League, maybe this season, but this season is an exception, but I think a team like Tottenham should be able to manage both. How about you, Nathan? Do you think of any sort of... Okay, Nathan, here's the thing. You're playing mm. a game of mini-golf against your girlfriend. Do yeah. you prefer to take the first shot or the second shot? Uh, I... I'm a very competitive person, but I'm not desperate to win mini golf against my girlfriend. <laughs> okay, in this example, you are okay. Uh, probably second. So I guess I'm I'm sort of against the theory there. I I there probably are, and I accept that there probably. I mean, there's going to be different players you see different ways, right? There's going to be me's and there's going to be vu's, right? There's going to yeah. be I mean, some who prefer to go first, some who prefer to go second. I do think that there are, and especially yeah, when you're in a title chase with Leicester, and unless you've got a three on a Saturday and you're on a Sunday, that there's that there are psychological effects. But I think the main thing is that it just it throws your your weekly periodization off and yeah. it's the mm. same number of days that it shifted over and it, that shift has occurred at some point so it's not just 3 days and 4 days in the vacuum um i don't know you you can make all the argument you want about how it shouldn't throw off the periodization and it shouldn't throw off the training but it does for so many teams for such a long time <laughs> there's clearly something there you know so yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a case about the Saturday half past 12 kickoff, which when we were allowed in the stadiums, there would always be that feeling that it's a little bit early mm-hmm. and perhaps people haven't had long enough in the pubs or it just, it it never sat right. Even even watching it on TV with the fans in the stadium, it, it always felt a little bit weird. So I, I, I do think, I do think the, the timing of games does have an impact. Uh, Klopp's spoken about it a few times this season, that he always ends up with the with the early shift. Um, but I, I think we should be. Able, I think 
I think it's nothing new now. I think we should be able to adjust and adjust to this. And we've got enough nutritionists and enough experts in the club to get through it. That's exactly what I was about to say. And I'm sure Alex Stoyle, who um, I did the sports psychology episode with, uh, is listening to this conversation going, yeah, but there's so many ways of managing this in terms of sports Mm. psychology. Mm. Um, In fact, maybe I should pick that up with Alex. Uh, who wrote an excellent bit for the for the newsletter? By the way, really, really interesting stuff. Um, yeah, maybe I will. Maybe I'll, maybe we'll do a sports psychology revisited, and uh, this is one question we can talk about. Yeah, um, football, just like one more thing. It's just football now is, has changed so much that it's not a Saturday three pm game anymore, and it hasn't been for many, many years. And I think if one thing that we've learned from, from this lockdown and using football as, as a tool to control the masses, I think, think what we've learned is that, that football will now continue to be played at all times of the day. <laughs> Every and day. I think so. I, 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 we're going to split it like La Liga. I don't think we'll go back to seeing multiple Premier League games on at the same time just because there's more money to be made by, by splitting it. So I, I, think, I think footballers need to adjust and I don't think the excuse can be used anymore of, of bad routines. They're just going to have to get used to it. Mm. So we've spoken about Bale and the need to uh, protect him at all costs. That means more Bergvine, probably. But a question from Oliver Page, who asked about Bergvine pre-West Ham. Um, in fact, Oliver asked the question initially. We didn't get to cover it and then said, can you re- revisit that? Because not only has Stevie not improved since I said it, we've now seen Lamella, Lucas, Bale all turn up with significant cameos or performances and most importantly goals. Is there really any justification for Bergvine to be getting minutes at the moment? His original question was, I might be going against the grain here, but I'm I the only one that has been bitterly disappointed in Bergvine. And equally, Kyle Gustafsson messaged us to say, would you rather have Bergvine or Jared Bowen? Um, yeah, so so Bardi, we've been we've gone easy on Bergvine, I think. I think there are a number of reasons why we have gone easy on him, but are you disappointed at all in him? Yeah, yes. I mean, when you when you start like he did with that goal against City and and then post lockdown he scored a wonderful goal against United. I think he also scored against Wolves before before the lockdown and there seems to be an incredible player there. He's definitely definitely plateaued and he's not kicked on like I would have hoped, but I don't think it's a, a lost cause. I still think there's a player there and I still think he offers us something. Um, just, just he's just going through a bad patch, and I think maybe he just needs a, something to to fall his way. I, I still think, I still think he's a better player than Lucas and Lamella. So I'm, I'm down that he hasn't been the amazing player that I thought he could be. But you know, there's still plenty there. There's still plenty of time. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel, Nathan? Yes, there is some disappointment, but I want to be careful that I'm not phrasing it like I'm disappointed in Bergvine himself. Um, I think that his mm. his his run in the team and his best run of form came when he was playing a very sort of supportive and under celebrated role, uh, doing a lot of defensive work, being the sort of the foil for for Son on the opposite wing to him, doing yeah lots of defensive work, being the defensive winger and being the link up player in in the counter attacks and just playing quick one two passes. And and not getting into the box, so I think that his his best run is is really under celebrated. But I also think that that like he's a really good player who we haven't like seen in the right circumstances. He looked really good against Wolfsburger. Everyone looked good against Wolfsburger. But yeah. I think that 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 performance, if you go and look at like what he was doing creatively in attack. It, that's the that's truer to the player that he is. That's what he looked like in the Eredivisie. Okay, Eredivisie opposition isn't incredible um, compared to you know Austrian Bundesliga, not not too far apart. But um, there's a brilliant attacking, a creative, um, direct, aggressive player there who who um, who I think would have looked really good taking Lucas's ten role against Burnley. Absolutely agree. Completely agree. Uh, I feel like so for me. Lucas is someone who takes more than he gives and by that I mean like he scored a goal against Burnley and it was a really decent finish it was an instinctive finish from inside the box uh, but that's him sort of taking a shot that something else, someone else has created for him and provided for him and it's just landed with him and he's finished it I don't feel like Lucas is offering the same sort of creativity he he wants to sort of make things happen for himself he wants to sort of burst past players hmm. and get into the box and have a shot Bergvine is much more selfless I think he does give more than he takes and perhaps he needs to take a bit more he needs to be someone who takes more responsibility for for having shots and I think we saw that against Wolfsburger I felt like he had an instruction to get shots away 
They mm. weren't always great, but I, I felt like he definitely wanted a goal, sometimes to the detriment of players in better positions. Um, but I like him a lot as a player. I think there's a lot to work with. Very good mentality in terms of his his um, tactical play. Very switched on defensively, which obviously suits uh, a Mourinho system. I'm really excited to see what he develops into because I think there's a lot more to come in the final third. Um, and I think we also have to appreciate it's still quite early for him in terms of him settling in. He's not really had, he's not really had like a settled run in a team that's performing well. So that's, and that's part of the problem. When that happens, if he's still not performing, still not assisting, still not scoring, then fine. I think there's a question to answer. But until that point, um, I'm I'm just sort of happy to sit and watch and hope that things get better. I mean, I wish he had Lucas Moura's self belief. If you could yeah. just, if you could get that and put it in Bergwijn, you'd have an insane player. You've got to remember, Lucas is, is a lot older and he's been around a l- far longer. He needs, he's been through a career at PSG, he's come to Spurs and everything else. So he's, an established, he's an established player. Bergwijn's still trying to make his mark in the game. And I, I, you know, if I had to choose one to get rid of tomorrow, Lucas would, be, Lucas would be gone. How much would you pay for a bottle of Lucas Moura self-belief? <sighs> you, know, that's, you can't put a price on that. It's <laughs> incredible. He just... He just believes he's the best footballer in the world he really does. And <laughs> did you see the moment where he was just running on his own through on goal and then he just tackled himself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was an insane moment and then he scored a great goal and like literally two minutes later he took the worst shot i've ever seen <laughs> and it's just the, the the swings in lucas but he doesn't care he just keeps playing he keeps yeah. going he's just his confidence is incredible and he you know you got to admire that. I wish I had that self-belief. For sure. Um, Mark Voice says, bad defence, players, bad defence, Mourinho. What about Ledley King? Is Mourinho back to the <laughs> corner because he can't get rid of King because he's a club legend? <laughs> this question. I've seen this. I've seen this pop up on Twitter like it's some weird thing. Like, Ledley King is at fault for all of this. It's like... Lily King is a young coach who's who's learning the game, who who's there at Tottenham to try and get a career as a coach, and it's totally unfair to blame him. And I, I think it's also totally unfair to to say give it Ledley to the end of the season because <laughs> he's you know I love Ledley so much, but he's a young man who's trying to become a coach, trying to forge a career, and you know just foisting Tottenham and everything else that is in Tottenham on him would could be really detrimental to his progress. I think the other point around that, and I just want to—I'm not a hundred percent sure on this, but I don't think Ledley King is specifically there as a defensive coach. I, I think, think he's so just either. one of the coaching team. He's like a just mm. a first team assistant coach, so he's not taking the defense um, permanently. He's just there helping out with sessions. So to sort of lay all the blame on his door would be would be wrong. Instead, we should lay it at the door of, of Sacramento, who's clearly yeah. the, the big problem here. Um, <laughs> Mark, do, sorry, go on, buddy. Do you remember when um, when Kevin Keegan hired Mark Lawrenson in as his defensive coach to try and try and get to try and tighten them up? Yes, and it's just like it doesn't work like that when. <laughs> All of a sudden, Arsene Wenger started sitting next to Steve Bold on the on the on the bench. Like Steve Bold was there to to tighten up the defense. It, it doesn't work like that, and it's just the same that we had a couple of good results, and everyone was like, "Oh, that's Ledley King's impact." It's like it's not. It's not his impact. <laughs> it's just like, and you can't blame. You can't say it's his. It's his influence that we're not conceding goals. In the same way, you can't say it's it's him. That's the reason why we we we're, we're now porous at the back. Yeah. Basically, this comes down to like. Defense is not like the accounting department at work, right? It's not like this <laughs> yeah. entire separate section, right? Like defending and attacking, both of them are an eleven-man job on the pitch, and it's about like they're they're so not separate from one another. The the way that the team approach uh, their desire for possession, the way that the team push up so high or not so high, all of that is 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 team-wide tactical approach. And Lenny King is not telling Davinson Sanchez to turn to his left and boot the ball into the back of his own net, right? <laughs> this is happening because of various circumstances and because of who Davinson Sanchez is, is, a, is a player, right? It's, 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 it's just not like, do more defending, says the defending coach, you know? 
Sorry, Mark. I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, worth yeah. us, it's worth us like mentioning Lenny King and talking about Lenny mm. King. It's a good setup for us. It to, is, like... it is, because it is a thing on social media in particular, as Bardi mentioned. Yeah. Um, so, Mark, we do appreciate the question, even if we disagree. Um, a different Mark, Mark Brownlee said uh, of Giovanni Lo do you think his absence has had a bigger impact than has been discussed? When they started playing him last year is when things started to turn around, so I can't help but think they've missed him. Notice he's back in training now, so I guess we will maybe get the answer in a little while. Um, Nathan, do you think Lo Celso's absence has been keenly felt by the first team? Yeah, quite possibly. I think that he's probably a bit under-celebrated because um, his best run was about a year ago now. It was during um, a time where we weren't very good, um, didn't last very long. He's he's overshadowed by Ndombele's sort of highest points, um, but he is a tremendous player. And when he's when he's fit, that we will find a way to get him in the team. You know, definitely, definitely. He's uh, there. I talk about like the lack of sort of plans for attack and the lack of um, of sort of systemic planning around attack. But I do also think that if you have enough creative, skillful players in a team, that they will overcome a hell of a lot of that. And if you have Ndombele and Lacelso in the eleven at the same time that really decreases how much planning you need to do, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And I think everything I said about Bergvine, I would want to translate across for Lo Celso also, just give him time. I, th- I think he's been oft criticised because uh, he doesn't score or assist many. And I think that's a little bit unfair. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely, I think he'll have a big impact. Just having another quality player to come back into the squad is going to be really useful. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing him back. Mohamed Thirty asks about Sirkin. So I, I recently did a youth podcast for the patrons, um, and Mohamed says, uh, "Can I please ask, do you see Sirkin going on loan to a Championship or even a Premier League club next season? What do you think his level is at the moment?" I specifically asked about Sirkin because Norwich would be a great place to go on loan for him. They don't have a, a fit left back at the club. We'll probably get promoted and have a good relationship with Spurs following the skip loan deal as well. Seems like a great fit. I mean, yes, absolutely. It does seem like a great fit. I think um, it was a bit early for Sirkin to, to go to mm. a upper championship or lower Premier League team, to be honest. I think he probably needs half a season in League One and then we reassess. Um, having said that, I don't think he would disgrace himself at Norwich at all. I think he would slot in and, and be very competent. He is a very competent player. It's just that... So one of the things you'll have noticed with Skip, and this is this happens a lot with young players, is as they play more matches across the season, they suddenly become so much beefier, more muscular. Skip is mm. so much stronger for having played, what, like 30 games at a, at a good level uh, and he just looks like he's built like a footballer now uh, Sirkin although he has massive quads he's mm. he's obviously still a very young man and has some development to do um, and, and I feel like let's give him that development time in League One before we rush him but I really am excited about Sirkin I like him a lot I think he's a good player uh, one to finish on and to be honest this is something we would usually pick up in our live Q&As that we do for the X-Subs I'm going to call this 10,000 rats. So this is from Cole, who is... um, In fact, Cole, happy birthday. He's just turned 21 this weekend. He's one of our ex-subs. So Cole Cole sent in this... What has become a popular meme. Um, And the, the wording is, pick two, they will defend you. The rest, is, the rest are coming to kill you. It said the rest is coming to kill you, which annoyed me. The rest are coming to kill you. And, <laughs> and it includes uh, an image of a hawk with times 50 next to it. Okay. Crocodiles times 10. Brown bears times 3. Wolves times 15. One hunter complete with a rifle. <laughs> seven buffalo. 10,000 rats. Five gorillas. And four lions. So you have to pick two of those to defend you and the rest are trying to kill you. And the reason I called it 10,000 rats is because the first obvious pick is 10,000 rats well, yeah. uh, to defend you. Can mm. you pick the same one twice? Can no. You, can I have 20,000 rats? Because you, you can't. No. I would definitely pick 20,000 rats. <laughs> um, damn. Damn. It's a, it's a lot to think about here. There's a, there's a lot going on. I think... I think there's a lot of different attributes amongst these mm. animals. I, I kind of feel that like... 
you have to go with 10,000 rats, right? If the it says that they're going to defend you, not like they're just hanging around on your side. They're going to You don't have to train them. You. No. So like they are going to do the swarm attack. That's that's guaranteed. I think that once you um once you accept that you're you're playing the numbers game here, mm. you go for the hawks and you just sort of m- match in some aerial support. I think I think that's got to be the way. So I mean, rats is the most obvious because not only have you got the sheer weight of ten thousand rats. I mean, that's mm. enough to hold down any any and all of those combatants. Yeah. Uh, but it's not just weight, is it? They're they're gonna they're gonna try and bite. They're gonna nibble. Oh yeah. Uh, we we know what rats did to Gary Mabbitt's feet. Uh, <laughs> they are they are not to be fucked with. Um, where I differ from from Nathan, I, I do like the idea of an aerial bombardment from the hawks. But I can't look beyond the brown bears. I know there are just three of them, but they are... They're fucking massive. They are pretty big. See, this is why you guys are, are totally Jose out, because you don't you don't look at it from a defensive point of view. I take the, the guy with the gun. He's my first pick, because if if I'm up against a guy with a gun, he I can have one million rats. But if he's going to shoot me from, from a kilometre away, uh... then I, I want him on my team. So the bears... We can slow down the bears. Me and this guy, he's obviously a trained huntsman. So he's got, he's got like top end rifle. So they, they, he's next to me. And then you make a good point by the, by the, by the rats. I mean, it's, it's a lot of them. But then if we go stand in the middle of a lake and I've got 10 crocodiles around me, plus this guy, the rats will, the rats will get me, but I think the rats will get me a lot slower. <laughs> you, yeah. You're choosing a slow death. That's, that's yeah. the option that you got for you. Uh, spoken like a true Mourinho fan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My hunter can can wipe out four lions easy. He can properly injure three bears. No. So but buddy, uh, they're not just standing there. They they they're trying to attack his throat. But they're not they're not spawning in my zone. They got they got to arrive from sure. somewhere. So they've got to travel to me. Obviously, I'm in trouble once they get there. So maybe I'd go with the rats because it's impossible to defend against. But um, yeah. definitely, maybe the rats and the hunter, and then I can use the rats if I if I have to shoot a couple of rats to get a bear. Then it then you know it's just part of the way. That's what they're there for. They're there to be expendable. So you, I'm going. Yeah, I'm going to go rats and hunter. You could go rats and hunter, and then like bet on the rats and just like run away with the hunter and then like if mm. anyone like comes to close you down then you then you got the hunter to protect you and just just bet on the rats to win outright yeah i mean who's gonna seven buffalo it's just like what's what's the point like <laughs> what are they gonna do and i think the wolves as well similarly although you know used to working together in packs and very intelligent creatures mm. I, I just think they would be obliterated by pretty much any of the um the other possible combatants there mm. um i mean you made a good point bardy about terrain because if we if if this is happening in water you want the crocs <laughs> you want the crocodiles on your side but Rats bears swim. bears swim really well yeah but my hunter's going to wipe out three bears in 10 shots 10 10 10, ten <laughs> think? bullets i think they're going to keep coming i think like unless you get it through the brain immediately i think those bears yeah. are going to keep coming for the hunter in the kneecaps done meanwhile the rats <laughs> are just smothering every other beast yeah 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 Lions not going to go in the water, especially if it's them, the male lions. They they, they, won't, they won't even get up. It's like they're just <laughs> chilling out. And um, buffalo are pointless in the water. Crocodiles the only one, but you try and get rid of the others, then you run onto dry land. And crocodiles are pathetic on dry land. <laughs> <laughs> but you you would would you fight a crocodile on on land? Is that? You... <laughs> if I had to go, if I had to go toe to toe with a crocodile, yeah, I'm taking it on land. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't got much hope, but uh, uh, which <laughs> which end are you approaching just... it from? Are you are you are you trying to sort of go tail end, or are you going mouth end? Well, I'm not going to go at its teeth. Come on, let's go the let's go the, the end that doesn't the, the, bite. The crocodile's tail is um is quite a force, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's got to get it on his back. It's got a soft underbelly. It's like a dragon. <laughs> That's a fair point. Cole, you did yeah. this. Um, yeah, you did this. You, you this is a this serious happen. football podcast. Yeah, I mean, what I would like to say is, as you're leaving us reviews and you're putting sort of nice memories of your most important Spurs game <laughs> also add in to the bottom there maybe in the title of the review which two you would pick um, so if you if you google 10,000 rats it will help you remind yourself of what the options are you've been listening to The Extra Inch thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production thanks to Bardi for being Italian thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork 
Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.